Let us pray. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight for you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the third chapter of Matthew, which we're going to look at today, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, Matthew rather fast-forwards in Jesus' life about 30 years to the beginning of his ministry. He doesn't mention a great deal about the years in between for the simple reason that they are not crucial in knowing who Jesus is or having a personal relationship with him. What we know about those in-between years is that he spent them working as a carpenter, living with his family. And at some time during these years, Joseph passed away. He is never mentioned during the ministry of Jesus. Matthew 3 begins with an introduction of John the Baptist. John was a preacher who lived in the wilderness, ate locusts and wild honey, and preached repentance. And he also did something unique. He baptized Jews. Now, of course, Jews were familiar with the rite of baptism, but it was only for proselytes who were converting to Judaism from another religion. Baptism symbolized the washing away of their old sinful pagan selves as they accepted a new life as a child of the one true God. Jews didn't believe they needed to be baptized because they were already children of God. At least so they thought. John, however, emphasized that we are all sinners, that we all have the need of repentance no matter our racial heritage. John was an extremely popular preacher at that time. Huge crowds came out to hear him speak, and some scholars estimate that he baptized tens of thousands of people. But when some Pharisees came, he didn't flatter them with a warm welcome like, Well, we're glad to see we have some Pharisees with us today. We'd like to welcome you to the wilderness. We hope you enjoy our service today. No, instead he said in verses 7 and 8, You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee God's judgment? Prove by the way you live that you're really turned from your sins and turned to God. John the Baptist spoke harsh words to those who needed to hear harsh words. But that wasn't the entirety of his message. As a matter of fact, he saw himself primarily as a forerunner to the Messiah. When John was asked if he was the Messiah, he said, No. And then he quoted Isaiah's prophecy, saying in John 1.23, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare a straight pathway for the Lord's coming. John's message was, the Messiah is coming. Get ready. In verse 11 he says, I baptize with water those who turn from their sins and turn to God. But someone's coming who is far greater than I am, so much greater I'm not even worthy to be his slave. John described the coming Messiah this way in verses 11 and 12. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat and his winnowing with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, storing the grain in his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. If you've never worked on a farm, these references to chaff and grain may not be easy to understand, but I'll explain them just in a few minutes. But John's words in Matthew 3 tell us what you can expect from the Messiah, what he will do in your life. And there are three things Jesus will show us. Well, first of all, he will give you power. Verse 11 says he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now understand the concept of God living in a person was not a familiar concept at this time in history. It's not an Old Testament doctrine. 
It was understood in those days that God's Spirit would come upon one of God's prophets as he prophesied or as he performed a mighty work, but it was temporary. The Spirit would come and go. The idea of being filled with the Spirit, as it is taught in the New Testament, was totally foreign to them. For centuries, however, the Old Testament prophets had been predicting a, new, a time when God's Spirit would dwell in people in a new way. Isaiah 44.3 And I will pour out my Spirit and my blessings on your children. Ezekiel 36.27 I will put my Spirit in you, so you will obey my laws and do whatever I command. Ezekiel 37.14 I will put my Spirit in you, and you will live. And Joel 2.28 I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. God promised in the Old Testament that there would come a time when he'd make the power of the Holy Spirit available to everyone. John said that promise would come true through the Messiah. He said, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Now the word baptize means to immerse or dip into or to plunge. And when someone is baptized by immersion in water, for example, they become completely wet. In the same way, when someone is baptized in the Holy Spirit, they become drenched by the Holy Spirit. John is saying there will come a time when men don't have to live life in their own power, for the Spirit of God will be living in and through them. After his resurrection, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to his followers in Acts 1.8, When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power. The mark of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life is power. And guess what? It's available to everyone. Now, Jesus came to give us the Holy Spirit's power, so you might be asking, well, how do I receive it? Well, you receive it by asking for it. In Luke 11:13, it says, If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask it? To receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you simply pray, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. It's a prayer that says, Lord, I don't want to go my own way. I want to wait. I don't want to live by my power. I want to live by your power. It's a simple prayer, but it does involve three things. One, repentance, which is turning from your sin. Two, submission, which is yielding yourself to God. And three, which is trusting God to fill you. Jesus came so that we could experience the fullness of God in our lives, the fullness of his presence, the fullness of his power. That's what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that's what John said the Messiah would come to do. Second, he will make you pure. Verse 11, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, what does he mean by he will baptize you with fire? Now, what does fire represent? It represents primarily purification. Metal is purified by fire, and so are our lives. Paul made reference to this in 1 Corinthians 3, to 16 where it says, For no one can lay any other foundation than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Now anyone who builds on that foundation may use gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But there is going to come a time of testing at the judgment to see what kind of work each builder has done. Everyone's work will be put through the fire to see whether it or not it keeps its value. If the work survives the fire, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss, 
the builders themselves will be saved, but like someone escaping through a wall of flames. Now when John promises the baptism of fire, he is promising God's work in your life to make you pure. He is saying the ministry of the Messiah will be to cleanse your life of everything that is not pleasing to God. John uses a further example in verse 12. He said he is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, storing the grain in his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. This metaphor may not be easy for us to understand, but it was clear to all who heard John speak it. When grain is harvested, it includes impurities called chaff. Grain farmers would use a winnowing fan like a big shovel. They would scoop up the grain and the chaff on the threshing floor and toss it into the air. But grain is heavy and falls to the ground. Chaff is light, so it would be blown away by the wind. John says this is what the Messiah does in your life. He separates the wheat from the chaff, the good from the bad, the meaningless from the insignificant. Now some people may interpret this as a threat, but I gotta tell you, I see this as a wonderful promise. Jesus wants to clean up your life. He wants to get rid of everything that is useless and harmful so that you are pure and holy. You can't make bread from chaff. If you want your bread to be worth eating, the grain must be good. If you want your life to produce good results, you have to get rid of the chaff. You have to get rid of the impurities. You know, friends, hardly a day goes by that I don't ask God to burn away everything in my life that prevents me from being who he wants me to be and doing what he wants me to do. I welcome the baptism by fire because I know God is using it to make me pure getting rid of everything that holds me back. That includes sin and mixed up priorities and religious superficiality and everything else that does not conform my life to his will. Jesus came into this world so that his followers could become pure. He came so that they could escape the foolishness of dead religion, of selfish of ambition, of destructive relationships. He wants to cleanse you of all that so that you will be free to serve him with a pure heart. And finally, he will provide a path to follow. Jesus came to John to be baptized. Now, do you ever wonder why? I mean, John was preaching a baptism of repentance, but Jesus didn't need to repent. He was without sin. He didn't need God's forgiveness. So why did he come to John to be baptized? Well, even John wondered about this in verse 13. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. Why are you coming to me? Jesus answered him by saying in verse 15, It must be done, because we must do everything that is right. Another translation says, It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was baptized by John to endorse John's message, so that we might identify with it as well. John's message was one of repentance, a message that we all need to hear and obey. As I mentioned earlier, it was not customary in those days for Jews to be baptized. They didn't believe that they had any reason to be baptized. They were already God's children. But John taught that everyone, both Jews and non-Jews, are separated from God by sin. Jesus was saying, my act of obedience is an example for us all. Follow my example. The baptism of Jesus was also a public initiation for his ministry. After he was baptized, the Spirit of God descended on him, and a voice from heaven said in verse 17, This is my beloved Son, 
and I am fully pleased with him. God's word made it clear to everyone. Jesus is the one whom we should follow. He is the way. Later in his ministry, one of his disciples asked him, How can we know the way? And Jesus answered him by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus the Messiah is our path to God. We are to follow his example. We're to follow his teachings. We're to follow him. Friends, Jesus came into this world to be the Messiah, your Messiah, and your Savior. He wants to fill your life with power by filling you with the Holy Spirit. He wants to make you pure by burning away all that chaff, all the impurities, all the things that hold you back. And he wants to give you a path to follow, a path that leads to eternal life. That's something only the Son of God can do, and that's who he is. He is the Son of God the Messiah. Let him be your Messiah. And until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.